Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line this week, I've got a very nervous Ben Cat after Sean Cad's performance, I reckon. How are you, Caddy? Oh, yeah, just, yeah, shaking my pants after the performance <laughs> that uh, was put on last week. I mean, you know, he's come out just talking ad nauseum about, you know, a team he's followed religiously for, for many, many years. It'd be, you know, like you asking me to come on and just chat about the Collingwood 1990 or 2010 <laughs> Premiership side and expect to be expected to do a poor job of it. I mean, it was an absolute layup that you'd given him. And um, so as, as eloquent as he spoke and as informative as he was, as a, yeah, a bit of a entry-level type of... Bit of an up. easy one for him, you reckon? We, we uh, let him off the hook. Absolutely. I like. I mean, if we're wanting to get into salary cap um, analytics and, you know, trade talk, I think that you'd find he'd get pretty unstuck <laughs> relatively quickly. But um, no, you, you gave him the easy one just to recap a game that he watched uh, that his favourite team played in, you know, so all credit to him. I'm, sen- I'm sensing, I, I don't know, I'm not sure what I'm sensing here, but I think he's just trying to uh, fire an arrow in his direction because he, he's come off the bench scorching hot and you're feeling a little <laughs> intimidated about what he was bringing to the table. I'm, I'm sensing that. Um, oh, no, no, look, I, as I said, credit where it's due, but um, yeah, I, I suppose the, the proof would be in the pudding when he comes on and, and probably forms more of a regular type of hosting role going into 22-23. Well, there's no doubt that that's certainly on the cards after his first up performance. So we will see what he can bring to the table, Caddy, when we're not just talking about his uh, his beloved Golden State Warriors. But no doubt uh, he will be very happy after what we saw take place in Game 6, Caddy. It was Golden well, State. Well, just before we, before we do go any further, I yep. just in response to, you know, the, you know you, you bringing in a special guest of your own, I've brought one into the studio tonight. Oh, here we go. My, my own um, life. Lifetime Warriors fan. I've got my eight-year-old son Lawson here. Yes, um, just had his birthday too. Just turned eight during the week, and um, yeah, it's sort of he's developed quite a love affair for Steph Curry and the Warriors. So I thought I'd get him in just to share his initial thought before he goes into bed. Lawson, what did you think about the Warriors winning the championship during the week? Were you excited about that? Yeah. Yeah. And who's your favourite player on the Warriors? Steph Curry. And why is he your favourite player? Because he shoots as good as Daddy does. No. Oh. Because <laughs> his dad shoots terrible. Oh come on! That's not what he tells us every week, Lawson. He tells us that he shoots very similar to Steph Curry. <laughs> as if. And who else do you like that plays on the Warriors? Who are your other favourite players? Jamon Green and Clay Thompson. What about Wiggins? No, not as much as Ooh, the other. Not three. much love for Wiggins, no. <laughs> No, it was very exciting. So he was able to come home from school each day during the week, and he wanted to know what the scores were. He, he so, didn't. He didn't pull a sickie for game six, did he? No, I think it's a different style of watching the games. I think that this next generation, it's more of a YouTube clip yep. type of setup, um, which is where they generate most of their information. And um, yeah, but he's been getting right into those, haven't you, buddy? Yeah. All right. So do you want to say good night to all the fans out there and say um, who do you think is going to win the championship next year? Can the Warriors win again? Hopefully. Yeah. Who, Hopefully. who do you think might? Who do you think might beat them? Maybe. Maybe the team you got a beanie for for your birthday. No. Who's that? Chicago Bulls. Yeah. The Bulls. <laughs> Trying to brainwash him, Dad. <laughs> All good. All right. Thank you, Lawson, for coming in and giving your special comments on the season and on the championship. Now it's time for you to go to bed. Good night, mate. Good work.
No, well, that's it. You can oh, fight fire. Very fire good. Well, you, the, the more the more cads we get on the pr- the program, Caddy, the slider you fall down the uh, the power ranking. So <laughs> I, I think you should stop. Don't don't bring on Bree because you, we just might have we might have you at the door shortly. <laughs> no, it's all, all good fun. It's great to see. Um, yeah, a bit of enjoyment now in, into that next uh, generation of kids, and uh, I think Steph Curry certainly transcends the generations already. So. He certainly does. When you go to a, to an NBL game, you see plenty of Steph Curry jerseys getting around. So he's he's one of those players that uh, yeah, just said sort of transcends all, all uh, age barriers. The older guys love him, and and the young kids love him as well. So no, good good to get the the young one on, mate. It's good to get uh, some of the young warriors on as opposed to to the older warrior fan we had on last week. But as I was saying, he he would be very happy caddy after the one hundred three ninety win propelled Golden State to a 4-2 series win. After they were down 2-1, incredibly, they won the last three games of the series. And I guess even more incredibly, given that uh, Boston hadn't dropped back-to-back games right throughout the playoffs, to see them lose three in a row was was a bit of a shock, you must say. But the first question I'll ask you, Caddy, is uh, Bill Simmons, obviously the you know the biggest podcaster in the world. We can't quite compete with the numbers that he turns out, Caddy, but we're getting very close. But he was saying on his podcast that he doesn't consider this Golden State run to be a dynasty. So they've won four titles in eight seasons and and competed in six uh, NBA finals in eight series in in eight seasons. So for me, I, I would classify that as a, as a dynasty, no doubt about it. When you're in six out of eight finals, you know you're going to be hard pressed to do much better than that, particularly in this day and age with players moving around as much as they do. But where do you sit on that, Caddy? Do you consider this Golden State run to be a dynasty or do you think they maybe needed to win another two or the fact that they had certainly one down year where they ended up with, with the number two pick, that sort of goes against them in this dynasty-style talk? Oh, no, I think, you know, a lot of this time, I'm surprised there's still any kind of negative talk at all around what they've obviously been able to achieve again this week in, in addition to the, the past seven or eight years. So, no, I think it has to be classified in that, Dynasty talk, particularly in this, um, I suppose this era and generation of basketball, and, and the amount of player movement that we see, and, and the fact that really fans, almost in a sense, are, are following players more so than than even teams. The, the amount of movement that we see, I think, for a team to be able to sort of be so consistent and be able to regenerate themselves as well, like the Warriors have, is just an incredible achievement. And the fact they've been able to this in this title in particular really put any doubt, I think to bed around any legitimacy of other titles that they'd won when they certainly had, you know, the most talented team probably ever assembled. But this this championship in particular, I think, Scott, is just absolutely full of merit. And, you know, those three key guys that they had drafted, you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago are still at the forefront of it, I think, absolutely should be taken into account that it's a, a, a modern dynasty at, at, at least, but probably as good as any dynasty that we have seen over the years. Yeah, and I think that's what's so you know good to see the fact that you know Curry, Draymond, and Thompson have been involved right through the run, and yeah, it, it's certainly much harder nowadays to to string together. You know, you go back and you saw, you know, when Bill Russell was around, Boston Celtics title after title, and you know the Lakers, and even when the Lakers and and the Celtics were going at it with with Bird and Magic, it, it's a much different proposition now with with the free agency. So yeah, I I, I totally agree. This definitely has to be considered a dynasty. Now, now we'll start off talking about Steph Curry and what he did J- just firstly in Game 6 before we get on to the conversation. Yeah, obviously, you have to have 
about Steph Curry and his legacy. So we'll just concentrate initially on, on Curry's game six performance, Caddy. 34.7 rebounds, seven assists, two steals. I, I thought he was absolutely outstanding. He was a little bit loose early on with his handle and sort of had a couple of turnovers early. But for me, he just had total command of this game. He didn't come out and force his shot early. He let the game come to him. I think it was 12 points and five assists in that first half. He was getting his teammates involved, but it was really in that third quarter when he put his foot down and he just hit some monster threes and we saw him, we hit one three and he was pointing at his finger. So he, he was just, he was hitting big shots that were really demoralising, um, not only for the for the Boston players, but also this Boston crowd. So for me, I thought Curry was absolutely outstanding after what was obviously a, a down game for him anyway in game five where he went 0 of 9 from three. But he, he bounced back really strongly. And I thought this was, considering, you know, what was at stake, this this was one of Steph Curry's best playoff performances. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he came off that game, the previous one, where, yeah, a, a historically bad shooting night for him as it turned out to be and after, you know, the extraordinary performance in, in game four. So for him to come back, into Boston here um, in this game. And, and look, he, he, as you mentioned, he did take a while to get going. I don't think he scored his first points until about the four, until there was about four minutes left um, in that first quarter. So, yeah, that third quarter where he really sort of got going late in that one and, put you know, put the ring on the finger. It was probably an early call um, to go with the <laughs> Just a little early, yeah. yeah. Um, not only the, the ring on the finger, I think he put the baby to sleep yeah. pretty early on too. And they yes. look like Boston still may have had at least another run in them, and and they did threaten a couple of times to sort of. I think they did get it in underneath single figures, and it looked, oh well, the, you know, there might be another uh, script here to be written. But um, to Curry's um, credit and the Warriors, they were able to close it out, and they just had too much in the end um, for for a Boston team that you know were probably out on their feet. I think a little bit by the end of it, and um, yeah, the experience and the class of the Warriors and Steph Curry really was able to get them over the top and he, he his performance the 34 points was not that I you know not, I don't think he needed it but I think it was great to you know just put that rubber stamp and ex- exclamation mark on on the series and on the finals MVP and just put any discussion around that absolutely to bed with with this game and um you know just the way you know even he got into the into the lane and and put his body on the line at times as well he was he was extraordinary and the other players could just play their complementary roles um, and allow Steri, uh, Steph Curry to shine on that stage was was enormous and, um, yeah, a great finals performance in the end. So moving on to the the legacy talk, which everybody wants to have, have you know, straight after a performance like this, he's now got his, got his first finals MVP. It was, it was unanimous finals MVP and deservedly so. He's a four-time champion, eight-time All-Star, eight-time All-NBA, two-time MVP, two-time scoring leader. In the regular season throughout his career, he's averaged 24, 6, and 5, and in the playoffs, it's 27, 6, and 5. So there was a bit of a narrative around Curry that his playoff performances don't quite stack up. Well, he's actually averages more points in the playoffs than he does in the regular season. And he's now 21 and 4, in playoff series, which is a better percentage uh, than Michael Jordan, LeBron, Kareem, Larry, and Magic. So his his playoff career percentage is 69, winning percentage is 69, which is better than any MVP in NBA history with a minimum of 50 playoff games. So he's starting to build a bit of a, bit of a well, not a bit, uh, a, a huge legacy now. And there was, for whatever reason, before this this year, um, there was a bit of a knock on Curry, and as I said, he was sort of spoken about as if he doesn't step up in these big moments. Now that we've got 
this, he's finally got this finals MVP. He's got his fourth title without Durant. Where does this sort of put him for you? Is he is he sneaking in into top ten conversations, or is he still just on that on the outer of that top ten for you, Caddy? Oh, look, I think he's got to be um, spoken about alongside you know all of those modern champions. I mean, it's a bit rich, I think, for us or myself in particular to kind of rank him against guys in you know in the 50s and 60s and things like that. But I think... I'll throw two know, names at you then. What about Kobe Bryant and Kevin Durant? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I, I actually would have him now probably ahead of Kevin Durant. I, I just think, yeah, Durant probably a, a greater scorer and, a, and probably has clearly a, a better physique and, and more skill in, in a sense um, and the way he's built to play the game. But Curry, you know, clearly the greatest shooter of all time. The way he's, you know, been able to... Um, I suppose, continue to adapt his game after he basically changed the style of the game back in, you know, what we're talking seven or eight years ago with the way that he was scoring, particularly from outside the arc and, you know, just extending the length that that he needed to be defended. I think for him to be able to do that and replicate it year on year and then adapt, you know, when, the, when things weren't going so well and then come through the other side, you know, even last season, um, you know, when they missed in the play in the play, and he still averaged 32 points a game that season, and, and really, I think came back from that you know horror show of the year before. But yeah, no, I, I just can't rate him highly enough for his impacts on the game historically. You know, just in, from a stylistic point of view, but also now, you know, the, the the championships, the finals MVP, the league MVPs, like it's it's all there. So I don't I don't quite understand yeah, where people would be trying to you know put him in behind. You know other players where I think in particular um, uh, guys like Durant, you know who you know clearly a, a championship level player came in and and made some significant um, impact to Golden State when when he came in there. But that was a really really good team already, and he hasn't been able to go and do it in, on his own yet. Whereas Curry now, at the very least, whether you thought he'd done it in the first title uh, that they won with before Durant got there, but then now certainly after he's left. Has been able to um to win again, and I think that that's quite important. Um, whether the finals MVP, look, I, I'm probably not as big on that anyway. But um, yeah, I just think his career in total and what he's done for for the generations of of basketball fans moving forward is um can't can't be really underestimated. So he's now won. He's obviously won four titles, but he's won two titles now. That first iteration with you know the difference with Barnes and and Bogut, and now this second iteration. With Wiggins and Paul, this is obviously outside Clay, Clay and Draymond. So he's now won two titles without a fellow top seventy-five player. When the NBA named the top seventy-five players of all time, obviously none of the Curry's teammates from either of those championships were in the top seventy-five. So I mean, that there sort of illustrates just how how obviously good a player he is and how important he is and and how much he makes his teammates better. Because Kobe Bryant was Pau Gasol. Do you remember? Was he named in that top seventy-five? I can't remember off the top of my I head. I can't, can't remember either. I, I don't think so, to be honest. But yeah, no, okay. I, don't, I don't think he was. No. Yeah. So for me, it, it, I, I agree. He's probably just nudged slightly in front of Kevin Durant, and Durant's obviously got pretty some some good basketball in front of him, and, and as as Steph certainly does as well. But what, Kobe Bryant's the one for me that I'd be really, you know, Bryant's got such a a loyal fan, uh, fan base, hasn't he, that just swear by him. And, you know, he obviously tried to replicate Michael Jordan as the best he could and didn't quite get there but was as good a facsimile as you could possibly want. Have you got him ahead of Kobe? Are you prepared to go out on that limb or have you still got Kobe just 
for that absolute killer mentality. And he was obviously better on the defensive end as well as Curry. Would you have Curry just ahead of Kobe or have you got uh, Kobe still ahead? Oh, look, I probably haven't, you know, put enough thought into sort of drilling it down into a into an order. I think it's you know, I think it's a bit of a mundane exercise, to be honest, to to try and go through all that because it it, it just people so love talking about it for some reason though, don't they? Oh, oh absolutely. And it's always going to be a conversation piece. I just think if anything, um, you know, but if if this championship, Steph Curry winning it and winning a finals MVP now gets him the respect I think he deserved anyway, then then that's awesome, and and for him to now be, you know, particularly you know graded or judged as a in, into that conversation, I think that's absolutely fair enough. And you, the, you can go through the points and the scoring averages and all this type of thing, but we just never seen a guy shoot the ball like he has. And you know, yes, the defense is probably a bit different, and the you know the teammates and all this type of thing you can go through to try and justify where these guys rank. But you know, really, what he's done, I think, um, is above and beyond a lot of that and, and has really carried, you know, carried the league, you know, through the last few years and, and the, the way they've been able to come back this season and win, I think is extraordinary after, you know, what was a pretty ordinary few years after that Toronto finals loss where you lose Durant and Thompson to, you know, season ending injuries in that, in that series. And you just think how in the hell are these guys ever going to get back to the level? And they, and they've been able to do it and credit to the Warriors front office for, orchestrating, you know, the number of moves they had to do to, to get this roster to where it is now. Um, but, yeah, carries the focal point of everything they do and um, should be, you know, justifiably um, congratulated and, and thought of in, in, in as high a level as possible. The fact that he's changed the way the game is played, like, with his three-point shooting, we see guys, you know, Lillard and Trey Young and these guys now trying to replicate the way Curry plays. And there's going to be a whole another generation of players coming through that are going to try and and play the way Steph did, the way a lot of players, you know, Kobe Bryant um, is the best example, try to replicate what Michael Jordan did. So that, that's ser- seriously got to count for something in my book. And the fact that he's a two-time scoring champion, given his stature, um, you know, being small and lean and, and all that, is just an incredible... Um, accomplishment for Curry. So, yeah, I, yeah I, I'm the same as you. Whether you want to start, you know, is he better than Kobe? Is he in the top 10? That, that's for others that are uh, better credentialed than us to say. But, um, yeah, he, he's just had a fantastic, obviously, season. And now his career is – it was always complete. But I think this is just a nice little cherry on top with, obviously, you know, there could be plenty more to come. He's certainly not going anywhere over the next couple of seasons. One of his teammates that's been involved in all these titles was Draymond Green and who – had a slow start to the series. We saw it in game four. Um, he was very poor and even had his mum coming out tweeting, asking what was going wrong. But I thought Draymond was outstanding in game six. He he did it. He gave us a typical, if you just glance at the box score, he gave a typical Draymond Green game. 12 points, 12 rebounds, eight assists, two steals and two blocks. Now, he had the five turnovers, but he was absolutely everywhere. I thought he really set the tone for the Warriors on the defensive end. He was flying around, getting his hands and everything. And and most importantly, he hit uh, two three-pointers when he'd been, I think it was 0 for 19 or something. Um, I think that was throughout the playoffs. He hadn't even hit one yet. So for him to be able to hit two massive threes and just, as I said, play the typical Draymond Green game that you'd like to see from him was really good. Were you, were you impressed with Draymond's 
um, ability to be able to bounce back so strongly after having such a poor game, and we saw him even benched at one stage from Steve Kerr. So uh, a less you know mentally stronger player would really let that affect him. But for Draymond Green to bounce back in these last two games, Caddy, I think really speaks volume for for the makeup of him. Yeah, I think so. And as you said, it was a, a sort of typical Draymond Green stat line um, from a box score point of view. But yeah, that, it was just getting back to doing the things that he did when they were successful, and that included. You know, as you mentioned, hitting some some open threes, and I think the the shot that he hit, um, I think it was at the end of the third or towards the end of the third quarter, where they left him alone just inside the three point line at the top of the key, and you know, it's a shot he's he's probably passed up a lot this season and certainly throughout the playoffs. And it was after um, Boston had gone on a, a pretty good run because um, they were down twenty odd points early in that uh, or midway through that third quarter, and. They got it back to nine, I think it was, just before um, he hit this shot. And it, yeah, it was out of a timeout too. So yeah, Kerr had so called the timeout. And they were obviously probably going to run a play for Curry, you would assume, out of a timeout. But, yeah, I agree. That was a massive shot. Yeah, and you, did, and you didn't – I think even when he got the ball, I didn't expect him to take the shot. And he no. Got it and knocked it down and it, and it probably just sucked the wind out of Boston a little bit heading into that last quarter. Because they're the shots that, yeah, if he can make them, it just changes everything from the way the Warriors can operate their offense. And, um, yeah, to his credit, he was able to, you know, A, take the shots and, and B, knock them down. And, um, yeah, it was it was really good to see him, yeah, put a, put a bit of shit back onto all the doubters. And he certainly has continued on with that through his Instagram or Twitter or whatever socials he's on, he's on at the moment. He certainly got He hasn't done a podcast yet, has he? Oh, I'm not sure, but he certainly basically retweeted every, any person that's um, dared to hang shit on him over the last few months. And he's yeah. Yeah, been pretty active in, in having to go at all the knockers, which is, you know, fair enough. And I think, yeah, if there's been a lot, there has been a lot of doubt about the team and, you know, where they stand and, and him in particular as well. And yeah, to, there's really just no questions now. And that's why I think they're all carrying on with after the game is what are they going to say about us now? And, you know, he was a driver, I think, around that. And it's true. I, I just don't think there's anything anyone can say um, that could argue against how great they've been and how great they are. And and this championship run in particular is, um, I think, going to be the most uh, joyous one for those those guys in particular that've been there through through the uh, through the four of them. Because um, yeah, there's been obviously a lot of uh, hardship um, and adversity to get back to this level, and uh, really unexpected. I think for a lot of people that they're able to pull it off. And you could see the emotion pouring out of Steph Curry at the end of the game, and I, I totally agree with what you just said there. This is this would be the most satisfying from from you know Clay Draymond and, and Steph's point of view. Another guy that had had a fair amount of shit hung on him, as you said about Draymond Green, was Andrew Wiggins, and he'd been outstanding right throughout not only the playoffs but certainly this series in particular. And he finished it off again in Game Six with eighteen points. Six rebounds, five assists, four steals, and three blocks. Like that's that's about as good as you get. And that and that defense that he played certainly on um, Jason Tatum right throughout the right throughout this playoff series really impacted the way that uh, that Tatum was able to contribute for Boston on the offensive end. So Wiggins has one more season caddy left due before he's uh, one more se- one more season on this current contract before he's a free agent. You'd expect Golden State will certainly want to keep him after what he's produced for him throughout the playoffs. What sort of length contract and number monetary-wise would you be comfortable for Golden State to, to hand out to Wiggins? You wouldn't think it's going to be a, a full four- or five-year max. Would it Would it be like a three-year, 90-odd million dollars? Is, is that sort of fair? Or what, what do you sort of reckon is going to be the number sort of banded yeah. around? I think they can, I think they can um, 
re-up him or in the off-season. So that'll be interesting to see what happens from that perspective as well. Yeah, look, I don't know that there's any necessary um, hurry for them to do anything. I mean, they, there's a fair bit to wash out. You know, at least they've got their main guys obviously still under contract, Curry Thompson and, and even Draymond Green. So, uh, look, Wiggins, I think, has proven to, to potentially be a really big part of their future. And I think we forget that he is still very young. He's only 27, which is surprising. Like, you feel like he's been around a lot longer than that. And he, he has played, you know, a, a, an ex- you know, a, a lot of basketball really um, for a guy that that's pretty young and um, he never he never misses either, does he? he? Never ever gets injured. I think he played a ridiculous amount of consecutive games early on in his career, and he's just a bit of an Iron Man. He's playing, you know, forty three minutes again in game six. He's in the in the mid to high forties for most games throughout the playoffs. So I mean, that that's a big tick, isn't it, for him? Oh, for sure. And I think the key that you mentioned earlier was, um, which I, I probably don't think people recognised or thought of when they thought of. Uh, Wiggins is that defense and the fact that it's almost become now just with what he's been able to do in, in these playoffs and finals and it, it goes back to all all of the playoffs and I suppose if you've been watching them a, a little bit closely, closer than what I have obviously during the year then I'm sure the writing was on the wall with a lot of that defense throughout the season but um, yeah he's become almost that pro, prototypical 3 and D guy that you just have to have and you know, his scoring numbers, you know, we talk a lot about what he did at Minnesota um, early in his career when I suppose the shooting percentage numbers were always a con- concern or it was empty calories, you know, type of scoring. But, you know, even since he's been at Golden State, he's averaged the 18-odd points a game, you know, across about 150 games that he's been a part of the Golden State Warriors, and that's just in the regular season. So, um, you know, he, he's been a terrific piece for them to come in and, and really, you know, take a bit of heat off particularly Clay Thompson when he was coming back from injury this year and, and Curry and Green when they were missing different points of the season. He's been the sort of the constant um, over the last two years um, of, of that guy that they can rely on just to get him, you know, that 18 to 20 points a game. Um, and then when you couple that with the defense that he played, particularly in this final series against uh, Jason Tatum, then, you know, you just can't un- underestimate the value he had. So in terms of a con- contract moving forward, I mean, he's, from an age profile point of view, if he's 28, say, at the end of next year when his uh, current deal expires, and you know, maybe why wouldn't you give him a four- or five-year deal? It's only going to get him out to 32, 33 years old. And as you mentioned, um, you know, he's been pretty resilient from an injury standpoint. Um, it's just, you know, and I think from the Warriors' point of view, if they can continue to sign their own players, that that's probably their only chance of, of continuing to keep talent in, considering the contracts that Curry and Thompson are going to be on for the next few years. There's not going to be a lot a lot left over. So if they can sign their own players and just continue to pay the luxury money, then that's probably their really only avenue to continue to improve other than, you know, looking to ship off, you know, some of their young talent and say Wiseman, Kaminga, Moody. Yeah, well, we know that they've they've got no worries about spending money. I think when they signed Ubre, Kelly Ubre Jr. last year, it cost them about 80 or $90 million just to have him on their roster because of the, the luxury tax. Um, that they were that they were going into that next tax bracket, so they've got no qualms about spending money. The other big name that I guess they could they could sign in the off season is Jordan Poole. Now he's still got one year left on his rookie contract, but they can extend him in this coming off season. So what about him? He sort of he obviously had an outstanding season and was even starting for them at the start of the playoffs when Steph was coming back from his injury. And we saw him have a number of big performances and you know, he was really sort of enhanced his reputation. But as the playoffs drew on and the competition got a, a bit tougher and you really needed those two-way players, we saw his, his minutes really cut. And he just basically become an instant offense guy 
off the bench for the Warriors in these in this final series. Now he did it really well and did it again in, in Game Six where he came off the bench and scored 15 points in 17 minutes. So I mean that's that's a really valuable uh, player to have coming off your bench, particularly when it's a, a low scoring affair, which the final series were. What what would you feel comfortable giving Jordan Poole? Where, where does he sit? Do you think he's going to be good enough defensively to hold up, you know, when you get deep into these playoff series, which is obviously the kind of team that Golden State want to put out there? Or do you think given his his real, I guess, slide of body and, and the fact that he can get exposed on the defensive end that you wouldn't pay $25, $30 million? Is he more a 15 to $20 million player, a bit like a Tyler Harrow-style player? I don't know. I think it would be interesting to see what number Jalen Brunson gets for Dallas in the offseason. And I think, you know, Jordan Poole would probably be looking at that pretty closely. You know, Brunson coming off a similar, you know, type of rookie deal. Um, you know, I think, you know, whatever Brunson's be getting and, and there's talk of in excess of $20 million a year, then I think Jordan Poole would rightfully think that he's going to be, you know, in, into that level. And I think he's pretty important for the Warriors to keep because, you know, forget about the playoffs. I think he, he, in the end, sort of showed that he was capable of standing up at, at key times. And yes, the defense is a problem, but I think he's a young enough player that he can continue to work on that, and they can identify the fact that that's an area of development for him. But it's really the regular season. I think he can really be valuable um, over the next year or two, as you know, just giving Steph and Clay in particular, um, you know, nights off or time off when they need it. Because that's going to be pretty important for uh, the Warriors if they do want to continue to extend out this this dynasty, you know. And I think that's been has been valuable the fact that Curry was able to miss you know a chunk of time this year and come back, and and the Warriors didn't really miss a beat accordingly. And a lot of that was because of Jordan Paul and his and his output um, when he got into the starting lineup. He was putting up regularly twenty five plus thirty points a game through a stretcher. I think it was what back in March. This year is on absolute fire, averaging twenty five points for the whole the whole month. So he's capable of doing that. And I think that's going to be important from a just a roster point of view for the Warriors to to continue to lengthen Steph and Clay's career if they've got another guy that's you know clearly able to contribute at that level. So I think he's a priority and and whatever it costs will be. And I think it's it's a funny one when you're talking about the Warriors because you just don't worry about what the number's going to be because it just doesn't seem to matter. I don't think. Now, they've got another couple of players that were really big for them throughout not only this series but right throughout the season that, that are unrestricted free agents as well. Gary Payton the second, who's hardly earned much money throughout his career. We spoke about him last week and the fact that he had applied to be the video coordinator at Golden State. Now, he's obviously carved out a really crucial role um, for Golden State throughout these playoffs when he got back from his injury. Kevan Looney, who had been fantastic right throughout these finals, had a bit of a down game six, but certainly an important piece. We've also got Otto Porter, Otto Porter Jr., who actually started over the last three games, didn't play big minutes, but played a pretty important role, and Nemanja Bialica as well. So that, there's four guys there that are unrestricted free agents. You'd imagine Looney and and Peyton, uh, the second, would, would be probably the two that are going to have a bit of interest around from, from other teams. There was already some rumours about Looney having a number of teams sort of interested in getting him on board. Do you think they're going to be able to keep all these guys? And as you said, um, they don't really appear to worry about what what the money is. They just keep paying and paying. But do you think they need to bring back all four of these guys? Or is there any one of those four that you can see can be expendable? Uh, look, I don't think they'd want to particularly lose any of them, to be honest. But, um, yeah, it's going to be the willingness to um, to continue to pay. And I think I was reading something the other day 
that they could be projected to be spending up to maybe $390 million in salary and tax <laughs> um, if they would have re-signed pretty much all of their guys. So, again, if, if they're able to, and, you know, from the salary cap point of view, and, and, again, I'm probably not as up to speed with this as you probably need to be, but I think if, it just, if it's just tax penalty that they're paying, well, you just wonder where the, where the threshold is for the Warriors' ownership to go, right, okay, this is now absolutely too much. But, um, yeah, I think, as you mentioned, Gary Payton Jr., he's only made about $2.5 million in his career. He's going to be looking for, to get paid, same as Kevon Looney. So, I mean, whether it's Otto Porter Jr. that, you know, he's let go, but Bayelitsa, you know, you might be able to, you're certainly going to be able to find replacement-level players for those guys. Um, but I, I think they'd want to keep Looney and Payton for sure. And, you know, they... Jordan Poole they've got for another year at least, same as Wigan. So they may not have to make those decisions straight away and maybe be able to stagger out the other guys over the next couple of years. But, um, yeah, I think they'd want to run it back for sure and and bring those guys back on. You know, even if it, they sign them up, they're probably still going to hold reasonable trade value down the track if things aren't, if things aren't going right. But I think they'd take their chances and try and sign them all up and, and go from there. Yeah, well, Porter Jr. and B. Elisa, you would think are probably minimum contract players. So it's, it's really... Peyton and um, and Looney are the ones that they're probably going to have to pony up to keep. So it'll be interesting to see what numbers other teams throw at those guys to, to try and pry them away from Golden State. But I agree. I think they're probably just going to keep paying to to keep this group together. I mean, the, the other option, I suppose, is just thinking about Looney is whether how much faith they've got in James Wiseman. You know, they know he's yeah, on, yep. he's on an inexpensive contract at the moment, being his rookie deal, albeit it's a, at a high number because he's the number two pick in the draft, but it's still going to be probably significantly cheaper than paying him that, that number plus yeah. Looney. You know, so he's going to get paid something in the order of 10 to $15 million a year as well. So they may think Looney could be potentially expendable if they think Wiseman's ready to come in and play a significant role. Yeah, well, yeah, he, he's a massive question mark, isn't he? As I said, the number two pick, he, I believe he's going to be playing in summer league. We just haven't seen – he didn't play a game at all, did he? I think he played a couple of – G League games or something for them this season, but he never got out on the court for Golden State. So, yeah, he's, he's a big question mark for them heading into next season. Let's speak about Boston Caddy. It was obviously a disappointing game six for them. They came out really hot, and you probably expected that was going to happen. They had a 12-2 start. We, we saw them posting up a little bit. Smart, in particular, was getting down in the lane and posting up as much as he could. But then Golden State peeled off a 21 um, to, to zero run, and it was the I think it was the longest run in, in the last 50 finals years. So they started out hot, but then it, it fizzled out pretty quickly. But they sort of hung around enough late in that third quarter and even early in that fourth quarter where you weren't quite certain that Golden State had put them to bear, but in the end that they couldn't get the job done. Now the question definitely turns to, turns to Jason Tatum, who – Certainly had a below pass series for what we know he's capable of. He was 21 points a game, seven rebounds, seven assists. Now his numbers sound all right, but he was only 36% from the field. He actually shot 45% from three, sort of illustrating how much he was struggling from not only the mid-range, but we spoke about this last week with his ability to finish around the rim. So I'd been a bit sceptical heading on on Tatum heading into this season, but he'd had such an outstanding season and finished top five, I think it was, in the end in MVP that I'd flip my opinion on him. But now now after watching him 
what he did in this final series. I've got a, a little bit of a doubt about his ability to be a number one player on a championship team. Where do you sit with with Tatum Caddy? I know you've been a pretty big fan of his. I know he was in your fantasy team this year, so you you watched him pretty closely and you've you've spoken pretty highly of him right throughout the season. Has this final series here given you any doubts or is this just a typical sort of one of those final series that you see a, a young player have? He's still only 24. You know, we've seen LeBron James have a, have a poor final series against Dallas all those years ago and he was able to rebound from this. Is this going to be a positive for Tatum in that he's going to learn quite a bit or is this just a big question mark on him now and whether he's got that ability to be a number one player on a championship team? Yeah, look, I think it was certainly, yeah, it was a disappointing final series in particular. And look, I, yeah, you'd probably expect, and I'd, I'd be surprised if it doesn't come out that he has, hasn't had a pretty serious shoulder injury through these. Yeah, he was, uh, grabbing, he was grabbing it a lot, wasn't he? <clears throat> yeah, he was. And, and and that, and plus I just think he was pretty much wiped out by the, almost by the time these finals rolled around because of the, you know, that were, they were pretty tough. Uh, Eastern, Confer- uh, Eastern Conference playoffs rounds this season, and they really got battered all the way through. And it was a, a long series. And as you mentioned, look, he's still a young guy. Look, I probably think of him not so much as you know a young player at 24. I think the fact when he came into that rookie season and and had such a significant um, impact into the in the playoffs in that first year when they took, I think it was LeBron uh, to to seven games, and and Tatum was was outstanding in that. Uh, postseason, and it felt like you know he he was you know already on the thing. And that feels a long time ago. So uh, you know the whole young young player, and you know he's just a learning thing. I, I'm not sure. I, I probably felt um, that maybe him and Brown, both of them probably aren't really yet the number a number one guy. Maybe on a championship team, they're they're probably both ideally suited to maybe even being number two guys. Because yeah, I think there was particularly Tatum. There looked like there was a bit of an unwillingness. In the end, to to take key shots when they had to, and he was starting to give up open looks um, because his confidence was, I think, pretty sapped by the end of it in terms of just being able to get the ball in the bucket. You know, he, he obviously had some uh, had some good games as well, but I think when you look at the stats and the amount of minutes he was playing, it was well down. The two point uh, shooting percentages were, were disastrous, really. Um, but yeah, look, it's a long road back to that. Uh, to the play uh, to the finals again. I think for Boston, I, I think you know potentially we spoke of this uh, around a lot of the Eastern Conference teams, whether you know even if it was Miami or others, it was was it an opportunity to kind of come in and, and, and pinch one when you know, there was so much disruption with Brooklyn and Philly and and with Milwaukee getting uh, bundled out. So yeah, there, there's certainly no um, certainty to be back there. I don't think next year they've got to continue to find more depth on the roster. Their bench in the end was a was a bit of a big gaping hole, really. They didn't get any production. What they Five points, Caddy, off the bench yeah. in, in game six compared to 21 from Golden State. Yeah, no, it just, just wasn't enough there for them. And when their starters were, were clearly, you know, struggling along, it was, yeah, they just couldn't find any any respite there. And they'll, they'll need to go to work in the offseason and try and, you know, continue to, to build on the roster. I mean, they, they've done an outstanding job. I think Boston really, to get back in here, they're, they're mainly a, a homegrown team in terms of, you know, drafting a lot of these guys themselves. Um, but they're not going to get early picks now for a while. And, and, you know, Tatum Brown clearly were that. And Marcus Smart, even, I think he was a pick six. So those three guys in particular um, all picked in the top six. Yeah, they're not going to get those picks again for a while. So they're going to have to get quite creative around how they're going to build out the roster. And, um, yeah, Tatum, 
you know, the regular season was outstanding. You know, is he, is he a top 10 player in the competition? Is that how he, how he's perceived now? I'm not still not 100% sure. Um, you and wouldn't have Jack, him? I know it's hard to do off the top of your head. You Would would you yeah. have him top 10? I'll probably, I, I think I could find 10 others um, that I'd be able to list. And, you know, and I think the fact is you, you talk about him at, at that level is because they've been able to get so far and progress into the playoffs. And that's an outstanding achievement. I just think the gap between maybe Brown and Tatum's a bit closer than we um, initially may have thought, and it certainly looked that way, didn't it? Throughout throughout the finals, anyway. Yeah, and potentially they just need, you know, the, the, the inevitability that they might just need another star player in there to complement is might be where they're they're at, rather than relying on these two young guys to continue to to build and develop together. So yeah, I I, I thought Jalen Brown was their best player throughout the finals. He was the one that never really looked afraid. His defense is is really really good. He obviously struggles. With his handle, particularly going into the lane, and any time he, he he spun going into the lane, it pretty much got poked away from him. But so so that is the biggest conundrum, as you said, whether Tatum's a number one, and or whether both Brown and Tatum are more number two players, or you know what more you need to surround around surround these two guys to become a championship winner. Now now sometimes you, we can get a little bit carried away. They've they've gone to the finals and got all the way to, to game six and we probably expect them to win game six. So I mean they're they're obviously not too far off it. But I do agree with what you said earlier when this was probably one they could have pinched. Milwaukee was a team for me in particular that if Middleton had been healthy, they you know, whether they got past them was pretty debatable. But when you look at their roster caddy, what what is it that they need to do to, to make another run at this next season? Is it just fattening up that bench and the fact that they really could only rely on – well, they couldn't even really rely on Derek White. When he was when he was on, he was very good, but we saw him sort of fade fade out the longer this series went. Grant Williams also really struggled in the finals. He had a big impact for them in Milwaukee at stages, you know, guarding Giannis and being able to hit that corner three. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of guys coming off the bench that they've got any real confidence in. So is it just – Getting some guys that can come off the bench that will that can help sort of give Tatum and Brown and these guys rest, so the longer they go in the playoffs, they're not as fatigued. Or do they need to add somebody else? Like a, you know, we there was a bit of a question mark about whether Marcus Smart w- was good enough, was a good enough point guard to lead a team to a championship. Now he had a fantastic back half of the season, and obviously won Defensive Player of the Year. So those talks got put to bed a little bit, but I think they got exposed for the lack of playmakers, particularly in this series when Smart was only at five assists. It was actually Tatum at seven assists, who you know, his ball handling has improved a lot, but he, he set a, a record for the most turnovers uh, in a playoff run. So I, I reckon for me they, they got to be able to add a backup point guard, like a Tyus Jones-style player that you don't have to pay big, big bucks to but can come off the bench and handle the Rockers. I think they probably thought... They were getting that with Derek White, but he's had, didn't really turn into that player. So for me, that's what they need to do. What is it for you, Caddy, that they need to do to to make another run at the title? Yeah, I think it's another scorer off the bench. Yeah, scoring wing to come in and complement Brown and Tatum in there, and also the, just backing up Robert Williams. That obviously Grant Williams was a, was probably a negative in the end, and, and Tyus didn't even play. So there there probably needs to be some more front court depth behind Robert Williams, who. Um, Looked terrific in that last game. His defense was outstanding. Oh, he was fantastic, wasn't he? I, I mean, he actually missed probably a, at least a half a dozen putbacks. I reckon as well. He was sort of hustling really well on the offensive boards, but he did 
just couldn't quite get those tip-ins. Um, a number of times he, he missed. I haven't even seen his box scores in terms of his um, his shooting percentage, but I reckon he missed quite a lot of um, – what is it here? Uh, he was four from eight from the field, so I reckon he's missed four tip-ins at, at the rim. Um, but his hustle was great and his block shots were, were outstanding. So I think if he can come back fully healthy, uh, that will be a, a big start for them. And they've got him under a really, really – attractive contract for the next five years. I think it's 10, 11, 12, 13 million a year the next four years. So I think that's that's unders of, on what we've seen. Um, Al Horford, you know, obviously ageing, he was outstanding. Again, he was the guy that probably kept them in it in the last couple of games, in a sense, um, when things got really tough. But I think they do need some depth in behind Robert Williams in the big man department. And as you mentioned, the backup point guard, Pritchard, was sort of playing that role and really in the end, really limited time and they just sort of lacked a bit of confidence in him and Derek White by the end of it. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt they, they lack some confidence in those guys. So, yeah, a fantastic season for Boston to get all the way to, to the finals after they were they were 500, at, you know, around about January and they were they were the best team in the in the second half of the season and, yeah, as I said, a, a fantastic effort to get all the way through but they've certainly got some areas they need to address if they want to get back uh, to be to the NBA finals. Couple of other new news items that we we saw during the week, Caddy. We had we had a, a pretty big trade. We had uh, Christian Wood traded from Houston to the Dallas Mavericks for Boban, Sterling Brown, Trey Burke, Marquise Chris, and the number twenty six pick. So we knew that uh, Dallas were going to be very keen to add some pieces around Luka Doncic. They want to obviously surround Doncic with, with with as much talent as possible while he's you know he's still young. And we had identified the fact that they probably needed to add a quality big man. Um, that they did sort of get exposed, you know, with, with Dwight Powell, who, who was good throughout the regular season, but come the playoffs became almost unplayable. So they've added a guy in Christian Wood who's certainly got a lot of talent. You know, we've seen him particularly over the last two seasons when he's gone to Houston and he's become a bit of a, a focal point of their offense. He's been able to ba- basically be a 2010 guy who can, you know, play some uh, some some decent enough D. Now, he, he blocks some shots, but he probably, you know, positionally isn't all that great. But we saw how good Dallas were on the defensive end this year. So you, you'd imagine that Kidd and his assistants will be able to coach him up pretty well. And, and given his athleticism, you, you should, you'd imagine he should be able to have a, a decent enough impact for them on that end. And he can also shoot the three ball. He was 39% from three on five attempts. So for a big man, that's very, very good. So what do you make of this trade from a Dallas Mavericks perspective, Caddy? Is this a sort of move that, that you think they needed to do to become a serious contender or is this just sort of the first move and they need to do something else to, to, to jump up and, and, and challenge a Golden State for a championship? Yeah, look, I think on when it first came out, you sort of looked at it and I think we chatted about Dallas when they got knocked out and it was probably that big man that we thought there was a room to upgrade. Um, in that Dwight Powell spot. So, you know, I think if you – depends on, I suppose, how you rate Christian Wood, you know, as an elite big guy. I mean, I think on paper it, it makes sense. It, he's, he's certainly an upgrade from a scoring point of view from De- Dwight Powell. He should be able to run pick and roll really well with Luka Doncic um, and, you know, play in tandem with Maxi Kleber and, and these guys. So you, you think, you know, it, it does seem to make sense in terms of what they're trying to do, um, whether they thought that was the best – you know, option out there for them to to do it. Um, yeah, well, that's why they've, they've probably jumped at it. But, um, look, I've, yeah, certainly an upgrade on what they had in there at the moment. Um, you know, he's probably more of an offensive-minded big than a than a defensive big fella. So, yeah, I don't know that how that's going to help them 
at the other end of the floor. But um, yeah, I like Christian Wood. I think he's you know he's got some talent. Um, he's a bit older than I think we think. I think I read somewhere he's twenty seven um, by the start of next season. It feels like he's only been yep. around for a couple of years. So yeah, he, um, he pretty much his first sort of three or four seasons he didn't really play at all. No, so I think yeah, it's not like he's this yeah up and comer that's um, got all this you know ball in front of him. But um, yeah, no, I think it's a worthwhile move um, for Dallas to make, and yeah, I think at least they're being proactive and they, they've proven that at the very least they're going to continue to try and build pieces around around Luca. You know, they obviously made the Kristaps trade in and then out, um, and now this one, so they're they're, they're moving moving pieces, and um, yeah, it's worth worth a fly. I, I would have thought. He's certainly got a lot of talent. I guess the biggest question mark on him is he's never really been on a team that was serious about winning anything. So he's he's a classic case of you know you know putting up big numbers on a bad team. Is he going to be able to adapt and play a significant role for a team that obviously has championship aspirations? So it's certainly worth a flyer that that late that late first round pick. You know, very rarely do you do you draft somebody that's going to come in and contribute straight away or or even contribute at any stage throughout their careers. So definitely worth a flyer from a Dallas Mavericks perspective. They didn't give up any of their players off the current roster that were really contributing all that much for them. So, yeah, I, I, I like the move for them. But, uh, yeah, certainly there's got to be some sort of trepidation about how much Christian Wood can contribute to to a, a winning team. The other big news, Caddy, that came out today and one of the more surprising stories that, that I can sort of remember happening, I, I don't know if this has happened in the past, but the fact that Kenny Atkinson, who had signed a hadn't signed the contract yet, but was it was announced a week or two ago that he was going to be signed anyway to a four year deal to become a, the Charlotte Hornets head coach, has now decided that he's going to remain at Golden State as a top assistant. So Mike Brown was the top assistant for Golden State heading into this season. He's obviously uh, got the Sacramento King job, so that that has opened up the a vacancy there. But the fact that Kenny Atkinson was offered a job at Charlotte. Took the job and now after the Warriors win the title has you know reneged on that and has decided to stay on as an assistant at Golden State. A very very strange happening for me. I mean, it's not as if he signed on to coach the Orlando Magic. You know, he's signed on to coach Charlotte Hornets, who have Lamelo Ball, one of the most exciting young players uh, in the leagues. They've obviously also got Miles Bridges there as well, who's a very good young player. So it's not. A, a roster totally devoid of talent. So a very surprising turn of events for me. What, what did you make of this, Caddy, when you heard the fact that he decided to stay on as an assistant coach at Golden State? Yeah, you don't often hear about it. I think, you know, those sort of lifetime type coaches, you know, they you think that they're bred to just want to be head coaches. And, you know, if an opportunity comes up, you know, you, you take it. And um, clearly, you know, he thought enough of them to accept the initial offer. I think it was going to be a four-year deal to coach. Uh, Charlotte, and and secondly, it's not often that you know you say no to Michael Jordan either. I wouldn't have thought, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and and leave him hanging like like they have. So, I mean, if it's a financial thing, perhaps that you know, I'm sure Golden State might have up the end. Sure, surely he's not going to get paid more to be an assistant at Golden State than a head coach. I know, I know Charlotte and Jordan in particular have have been known to be a bit thrifty, but surely he's not getting more at Golden State. Well, I don't know what the what would the going rate be for a, a head coach? You're talking five million a year or something. Yeah, like that? at least if you're down near the sort of the bottom of the tree, which he maybe would be. I think it's at least around that. Yeah. Yeah. So look, I don't know what the if whether the NBA uh, front office has a soft cap or anything, or the Warriors are just going, "Hey, mate." No, I, I, I don't think they do. Yeah, what we're getting paid is 
here's an extra <laughs> extra little bit to to stay here and you know have a pretty um more relaxed type of life and lifestyle and you know you just don't as i said it's probably surprising when you these assistant coaches are obviously so geared to wanting to be a head coach then yeah it is surprising when they knock back an opportunity and you know he i thought at his time in brooklyn he was um did a terrific job and it was an exciting appointment for charlotte uh to get a guy that you know has been able to develop young talent to to come in and coach them but i mean yeah looking at it from if it was me i, I think it's <laughs> probably a good decision in terms of a, a lifestyle work balance and you know it's not getting caught up in a championship euphoria after a big win and oh, i don't want to leave it is there any of that involved in this do you reckon oh potentially but it's also it might be i'll oh, look you know it's not the worst gig just you know sidling down sitting next to steve kerr every night watching steph curry play without all the pressure of having to you know do it all all on your own at a new franchise maybe so yeah maybe that's a bit too simplistic and um and perhaps you know there's there's more to it but yeah, interesting outcome and um, Charlotte back to um, looking for another coach. So does this sort of – is this a black mark on Kenny Atkinson? If he wants to be a head coach going forward, you'd have certainly you'd have some sort of trepidation if you're an owner about interviewing this guy. And, you know, there's obviously a, a, a very lengthy process that goes into selecting a head coach. You're going to bring this guy in, and there's got to be a little doubt in the back of your mind. Well, is he going to is he going to flip his mind again if we if we appoint him? This for me, it's not going to be easy for Kenny Atkinson to get a head job after this uh, head coaching role after this. You know, unless he's got a handshake agreement with um, Bob Myers and and Joe Lake of at Golden State that Steve Kerr's got a one or two yep. years left and yep. his back debilitating back injury is going to mean he's going to step away and he is the job on a platter. You know that that might be something that's in in the works as well. But yeah, look, I don't know Steve Kerr's motivation to continue on for for how much longer. Who knows? But um, maybe he just ties himself to Steph Curry and he, he's he's there until he is. But um, yeah, no, I, I think it's definitely probably put doubt in other owners' minds about yeah hiring Kenny Atkinson or you know committing to him when he's been able to flip like he has on this one. You might be onto something there with with the Steve Kerr thing. I think he's might have said previously that he's not doesn't see himself as like a career coach. So so maybe that is something that uh, they're looking at uh, Atkinson potentially taking over from Kerr when it's all said and done for for Kerr. The, the two guys that were considered finalists alongside Atkinson were Mike D'Antoni and Terry Stotts, both obviously coached previously. D'Antoni certainly the one with the bigger name and probably seemed to suit the way Charlotte would like to play with a Lamello ball. Would, would you like to see Dan Tony get the job now that Atkinson's gone and, and just see highlight reels of alley-oops, you know, thrown between uh, Bridges and Ball? Yeah, well, it sounds sounds fun, but, look, I, I don't know if that's the right hire either. Um, I mean, who, who knows? Dan really? Tony's got to be in his late 70s now, wouldn't he be? He, he's getting on for sure. And, yeah, look, I think even Terry Stotts probably is too. I mean, they, these are yep. guys that have been around for years and, Yes, yeah, I think we've spoken about it before. You just wonder where this new generation of young head coaches are because it seems like the, you know, I think we talked about it with Mike Brown even when he got the Sacramento job. It just seems like they just recycle through the same yeah. guys all the time. And where's the, the new generation of young um, Brad Stephen type analytically minded coaches that you think would be queuing up for, for some of these jobs? But um, yeah, I don't know, out of Dan Tony, Terry Stotts, well, yeah, I'm not sure if it's going to lead Charlotte to the promised land anyway. Somehow. No, you're probably right there. But, yeah, certainly an interesting couple of weeks coming up for the Charlotte Hornets now that their coach in waiting has uh, reneged on his deal. 
But we'll call it there, Caddy. Um, obviously, we, we finally got through another long season, an, an outstanding season. I thought it was an enjoyable playoffs, despite the fact that, that none of the, the finals games actually were within 10 points. It, the, the game seemed a little bit closer than, than the margins did in the end. But another big uh, season, Caddy. We've got the draft coming up in the next week or so, and obviously free agency hits. So maybe we'll jump on and, and do an episode. But do, do you want to thank the, the listeners for, for getting through another season, Caddy? Yeah, I mean, the loyalty's been unbelievable and, you know, I think to get the type of uh, listening numbers that we do week in, week out is a real credit to the to the fan base out there. And, um, yeah, and I'd like to thank a few of the special guests that have come on and, and helped break it up uh, for us as well um, to give me a, a few weeks off during the season. And, and well done to you, Winnow, to, to carry the load um, as well as you have every every week this year. Now, I'm surely you've got some off-season special um, interviews lined up, similar to the Jason Smith one from last year. Have you gone to, to your, your well of um, basketball <laughs> insiders yes. to kind of get a, get a few guests lined up over for the off-season for our, for our listeners? No, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go deep into my bag, get the Rolodex out, Caddy, and uh, and see what numbers I can come up with and, and see what interviews we can get up to. Maybe we, uh, you, you've got some, uh, some, some heavy contacts as well, Caddy. Maybe you can throw a couple of numbers my way. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see how we are. I think it, for now it might be good to yeah these these guys can get back into their footy and and enjoy the rest of the footy season for for now and um, yeah probably enjoy not having to listen to us <laughs> if they have in fact chosen to do it. Yes, very true. But uh, yeah, as Caddy said, just echo those sentiments. Thanks for everybody who downloads the podcast and yeah we really appreciate your support and. As I say every week, Caddy, if you haven't jumped on Apple Podcasts yet and given us a five-star rating, if you could do that, that would be much appreciated. And we also have the Facebook page up and going. And if you like that page, you'll know when we post a new episode. Until we talk to you next time, we'll talk to you then.